Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You've let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself, Martin Keown and Stuart Pearce began by looking back at the trouble outside Villa Park last night as Ledger Warsaw fans caused chaos. Meanwhile, after Owen Farrell stepped back from England duty for his and his family's mental well-being, Stuart opened up about his struggles, the struggles he faced following a tough time at Italia 90. And Newcastle host Manchester United in the late kickoff tomorrow. But who will come out on top? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. Now, I thought there would be an unseemly tussle for Lord Jordan's uh, chair. But Stuart, you've allowed Mr Keon to sit in it. Well, to be fair, he served more time on this programme than I have. And I thought it was only fair that he takes Lord Jordan's throne. I did offer it to him, actually. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. I came in a little bit late. I was at a dinner last night with uh, Martin O'Neill. Okay. Yeah, that's League Managers Association with GRS Company. Really nice guys. Went very well. Uh, Martin was in fantastic form. He's great, isn't he? So, um, yeah. Yeah, so Stuart... Great to have Stuart on board as well. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be two, with you. Lovely. Two defenders, so we can talk about proper defending today. There you go. We will do just that. We'll also talk about Stuart's former boss, uh, Brian Clough, who actually, uh, when I interviewed him all these years ago, Martin, he's talking about the man you've just mentioned, Martin O'Neill. And the two of you can make of that what you will. Um, we've a lot to get through. Stuart, I, I think after this, you're hot-footing it to the northeast, are you not? You're going to go up to Newcastle, Manchester United? Well, I've got a gig in Guildford first, and then <laughs> early tomorrow morning I'm up to the Newcastle-Man United game, So, which will be a fantastic mm. game, really will. And who are you seeing in Guildford? Skids and uh, from the Jam, so fantastic gig. The fantastic. Skids, yeah. and Fermland's finest. In, in de- I'm sure we'll wow. have a little bit of Into the Valley. Yeah, the, the boys will have that on the break. You know, Absolutely. So I'm sure for us. Uh, guys, a lot to get through this morning. Um, some of a fun nature, but this of a serious nature. Because uh, last night, trouble at Villa Park. Um, Ledger Warsaw were in town to face uh, Aston Villa. 
Suffice to say, it kicked off. 39 people have been arrested after violence broke out in the build-up to Villa's game with Ledger Warsaw. Four police officers were hurt in clashes with away fans. West Midland police said officers were faced with disgusting and highly dangerous scenes, including having flares thrown at them. So, extremely unseemly scenes at Villa Park. Um, And as I said in the introduction, fine stadium closures, do they go far enough? Do clubs need kicking out of Europe? But is that the whole story? So what did happen and why did it happen? Uh, The Assistant Chief Constable of West Midlands Police is uh, Damien Barrett and uh, he joins us live on the show. Assistant Chief Constable, good morning. Good morning, Jim. Uh, thank you so much for joining us because I know um, you found time to slot us in because you guys are extremely busy with what happened this morning. Can I put to you what I know? That it was thought that 2,000 Ledger fans would be in Birmingham for this game. But because of uh, previous disturbances at, at a previous match, that allocation was cut to 1,000. And then the decision was taken last night to let none of them in. Am I right about that? Well, thanks very much, Jim. And, and firstly, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a really significant uh, operation that continues with a uh, continuing investigation uh, around the issues from last night. I can actually report to you that uh, in the numbers that you described, they've changed and increased over time. So we've actually up to 46 people have been arrested following last night's uh, disorder. Um, the, the issue in relation to, to the ticketing is definitely something that is at the, the root of uh, last night's events. Um, I'm quite clear that due process has been followed in relation to the ticket allocation around this game. Uh, we worked to uh, supporting uh, through a process called the Safe, uh, Safety Advisory Group, uh, SAG it's known as. Uh, it's a partnership arrangement. It's not the police that make decisions around ticketing allocations. Uh, the allocation for Lady of Warsaw uh, was uh, reduced to around about 1,000, just over 1,000, uh, as long ago as, as the 2nd of November, and that was uh, communicated with the club. Um, what happened last night was that uh, a number, actually probably somewhere in the region of a thousand uh, Allegia fans uh, arrived, we thought, to attend the game. Uh, and uh, the normal process would be that the, uh, the home club, uh, through uh, facilitated by UEFA, provide the tickets to the away club for them to administer them as they have sold uh, through their fan base. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, and as a result, it wasn't that we excluded fans. It was that there were no fans with tickets that we could potentially safely uh, facilitate into the ground. And for that reason, we had to make the decision in conjunction with the club that the turnstiles would not be opened. Uh, and when and did you made, make that decision? That was made uh, around about an hour and a half to two hours before the game at a very, very tight timescales as we were dealing with an incredibly uh, dynamic situation that presented uh, some real public safety threats for us. And of course, I suppose, Assistant Chief Constable, a decision like that made at that time was never going to be well received by the Ledger fans, was it? Well, absolutely. And I understand, you know, that in amongst the, the fan group, there will be people, I think, that, you know, fully expected to turn up to be able to to attend the game and access the tickets as they would have expected. Uh, this is very much about the facilitation of the provision of those tickets by the club as a result of their objections to the allocation. And that's something that I agree working through uh, today as part of the investigation with the footballing authorities, with UEFA, uh, and I think it's really important for me to say, Jim, that uh, you know, what happened last night, um, 
first off, I'm incredibly proud of, of the operation that, that we delivered. That there was really uh, significant acts of bravery on the part of officers faced with enormous hostility uh, and serious violence. Uh, and, and that is not something that they should have to uh, uh, accept. And it's not fair on them or the people of Birmingham no, sure, either. Sure, absolutely. Here's my colleague, Stuart Pierce. Damien, is this the first time you've had to make a decision right on top of kickoff to to not allow people into the ground? Um, you can imagine in operations like this, we often have to make very dynamic decisions, you know, in challenging circumstances. I think in my experience and also reflecting the experience of some very experienced footballing commanders here in the West Midlands, the disorder that we encountered last night was the most severe that a lot of us have, have ever seen. Um, it was undoubtedly, uh, as I say, instigated as a result of this issue relating to ticket allocation. And that's something that I'm going to be taking up with the football authorities and UEFA in particular. I'll be expecting some strong decisions on their part. I've got a, a statement in front of me from Ledger who say um, that pre-match tensions were exacerbated by the refusal to give them their full ticket allowance. And they said instead of diffusing potential pre-match tension, restrictive measures of Aston Villa Football Club as the host club needlessly exacerbated the atmosphere. Is there an element of accuracy, if you like, in that, Assistant Chief Constable, in that the exacerbation of the tension was almost inevitable at that time of night. Well, I'm very clear on the timeline of the considerations in relation to the ticket allocation and the running of this football match. Um, the safety advisory group, as I've highlighted again and I'll reiterate, which is not police, it's a partnership including the local authority that issue the safety certificate to the club required the limitation of the allocation to be a, just a, a touch over the thousand mark. That was communicated to Lady of Warsaw uh, back in uh, early November. Um, there were uh, there was correspondence. There were some objections made, uh, and but that was maintained as a position because that was working to the safety certificate that had been issued by local authority. Um, the circumstances surrounding the actual uh, issuing of the tickets was something that was facilitated by Aston Villa last night to Legia Warsaw, but did not take place. And that undoubtedly resulted in the scenes that you saw. Uh, of course. Um, Assistant Chief Constable, we appreciate your time. Stay with me for a moment. This was a, a Ledger Warsaw fan who got in touch with TalkSport last night. His name was Adam. We respect English fans coming over to Warsaw. We've looked after after them. Do you know how they've looked after us tonight? They've locked us in a, in a, in a car park with gates and police around it. They surrounded us with, uh, with buttons. They didn't give us any information about the ticket. They didn't look after us. They just locked us in a cage for so long. Everyone was getting hungry. Everyone was getting, everyone was getting really, really upset. Mm -hmm. This is why you got so, uh, so those clashes with the police to the, tonight. Police treated us. It's completely unfair. He was suggesting that they were, some of them were corralled, if you like, into a car park with nowhere to go. Um, and, and that there was a degree of heavy-handed police activity around them. What would you say to that? Okay, a couple of points I'd, I'd make in relation to this. The, the car park, as you described, is actually a, a coach park. But people who visited Villa Park will probably be familiar with it. Um, it was the area that was identified as the ticket collection point. 
So it was an area that we were facilitating the movement of Legia fans from, that were coming in from all directions, as you can imagine. Um, we were engaging with them through the significant operation that was in place to pass that information that that was where they should have been able to get their tickets from their club and then safely facilitated by ourselves uh, move towards the turnstiles to be able to allow entry by the club themselves. Um, I, I do acknowledge, and it's something we work really, really hard on in football policing, is, is a term we call differentiation. We recognise that there are people with different intent uh, at football clubs, and we recognise that some you know, need to be supported, need to be communicated with. Um, that communication last night included a significant number of Polish-speaking uh, officers who are on hand. So we worked really hard to be able to communicate with all elements of the fan group that were travelling uh, on behalf of Legia Warsaw. Uh, I do understand that some people experience that way, and that is really unfortunate, but equally we're dealing with a you know, really significant crowd and the challenges and the safety issues that I've already described. I mean, we're, we're being asked here, um, many people getting in touch who were in and around Villa Park last night, Assistant Chief Constable giving their version of events. Um, You've, you've got a number of uh, Ledger Warsaw fans locked up. They're in custody this morning. Uh, 40, mm. 40 plus, I think you, you, you said. I mean, That's right. to safeguard against this, this was an extremely worrying scene that could have become an extremely serious scene, I think. That, that's the take I'm getting. I was in London. I was nowhere near it. But, mm -hmm. I mean, fine, stadium closures. I know this might not be your territory, Assistant Chief Constable, but... I mean, where are we going here with this? To, to safeguard against a repeat of a scene like this, what, what, what punishment would fit the crimes that we saw being committed last night? Should the club be kicked out of Europe? Okay, well, if I can start with the ongoing police operation, as you said, you know, we were 46 uh, away fans uh, in custody this morning. Um, they've been arrested for a variety of offences, uh, largely violent disorder, assaults against police officers. We have some weapon uh, offences amongst those as, as well. Um, we will be investigating each and every one of those. And my intention is that we should gather the evidence to be able to seek to prosecute them. And where we can bring about charges in conjunction with the Crown Prosecution Service, who we're closely engaged with today, then we will bring those charges and we will seek to place those individuals before court uh, and, and to allow a proper criminal justice outcome. Um, in relation to uh, the wider issues that I've described, uh, I've explained to you what I think took place last night. Yeah. I'm really un unhappy. As I said, I think this is unfair uh, for the people of Birmingham that this has happened. And I'm really unhappy that we've been put in this position. So I'll be working very closely with the footballing authorities and I will be providing the information to support them and I would expect them to make difficult decisions. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. United now. They're going to be knocked out by Newcastle. There's something happening at this football club. Something happening at St James's Park. Back to Fernandez, trying to turn, shoots, it's squirting. Manchester United have won it in stoppage time at Craven Cottage again. It's quite normal when you play for Man United that you're going to be criticised, even if you do well. Oh, they're on the front foot again. Here oh, goes Josh Rice. No. A stunning goal. Back to Golo, and he's 3-3. And yet again. Manchester United have blown a two-goal lead. I'm convinced on the long term, the players uh, will be hard to beat. It's Mbappe slamming it home past the despairing dive of Nick Poe. No one comes.
comes to Paris to get their heart broken. But Newcastle have had their crush. Winning is everything. I'm so proud of everyone connected with the club this year and what we've given. We feel really united at the moment. Oh, yeah, what a game this is. Tomorrow night, live in Talk Sport, 8 o'clock, Newcastle United against Manchester United. And the man to my left, Stuart Pearce, England legend Stuart Pearce, will be there. Martin Keown alongside Stuart in studio uh, this morning. Stuart, we know Newcastle the other night left Paris extremely disappointed after that penalty moment. Um, Manchester United left Istanbul probably pretty disappointed as well that they didn't get the win they wanted against Galatasaray. Is it a question here of who's going to bounce back quickest from European disappointment really? Well, I think when you look at both teams, I think Newcastle have come away with some pride from their performance, mm. certainly. Um, a tougher task at PSG as well. So I think Newcastle are still coming away with, with their tails up. They've taken four points out of six from PSG in in the group as well, which is fantastic for them. And I'm just looking at the league table here, Jim, and to be honest with you, if Newcastle aspirations about qualifying for the Champions League again, let alone my early summer prediction in Newcastle or win the Premier League this year. There you go. They've got to beat Man United at this game. If they do, the chances are they're going to bounce up above United and above Tottenham potentially. So, um, and that condenses the top yeah. half of the division again. Yeah, it is a massive game, Martin. I mean, here we are just into December and this is huge. Massive for each It club. is. Uh, just to give some perspective, yeah. uh, both managers are up for awards for a manager of the month. Manchester United have won five of the last six games. I know that there's a, always a crisis just around the corner for Manchester United, but just to be we're, you know, aware of what they've been achieving, although you know you feel that if they lose this one, then there's, there's trouble again at the manager's door. Um, Harry Maguire actually uh, is actually enlisted, and Gordon as young as, as players of the month, they're in the nominees. So the teams are in really good form. And I fought Newcastle the other night, uh, that Livermento, what a player he was mm. at left-back. Mm. Charging down the wing, pace, power, directness. Those two, I mean... As a pair on that left-hand side, probably as good as anything as I've seen. They're relentless. Now, whether this comes, I think the biggest thing now is that that's a fact. It's a home game. 52,000 Geordies really getting behind their team. Yeah. The atmosphere now, it drives the players on and they're just going to new levels. They're relentless, Jim. They run till, they're, till they drop. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure Manchester United can cope with that. I don't think they've got the necessary players, certainly in the deep in midfield, to protect. Maybe Varane comes back. Isak as well is at another level. He now, listen, you're saying both managers up for awards. So, have you gone full circle on Ten Hag? Because you said his time was maybe up I sooner said, than later. Yes, and, I, and everything... Yes, I'm very clear in what I said. I said, if he loses the next three games, he's out. And he didn't He didn't lose the third one. And he stayed and he's turned it round. There are games I might have expected him to win. But you never... It's game to game. He manages from match to match. His goalkeeper let him down the other night. I mean, in your Champions League's been a disaster for them. So, it's contrasting. Mm. Stuart's right in saying... Jim, they both suffered disappointing results in midweek, but I think that Newcastle can be proud of... They're rubbing shoulders now with the big boys. PSG, they took them to the wire. And they want to be back there next year. So six versus seven is massive. They've, and they do need to win this game. And I think they're more than capable of doing that. But they've got so many injuries. I think there was an injury list of 14 players out yeah, going into yeah, the game. So, yeah. you know, I mean, they were putting goalkeepers on the bench and youngsters, mm. you know, some really good players I think the good thing through. about the game, Martin, as well, for from us that are going to go and watch it and whatever... You can't, in your wildest dreams, think that this is going to finish nil-nil. 
No, it's right. You know yeah. what I mean? Both teams are going to score at least one goal, I would suspect. Yeah. Where are you both on Onana? Um, I know it's always hard when you single out a player, but we've got to. Because this guy uh, is doing, in, in the eyes of many United fans, sure, more bad than good mm. in, in his position as goalkeeper of Manchester United. So, at the moment, the jury's out on him. But for how much longer? Jim, we've just come out of five years of criticism of De Gea and whether he was good enough to wear the shirt for a long period of time. There were some United fans the other day, Stuart, saying, get him back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Schmeichel. Schmeichel, I can understand, <laughs> potentially. This was the Listen, I think it's going to take him a while. You, you, you've bought a goalkeeper to your, foot, for your football club for what he does with his feet, as well as his goalkeeping attributes. I think you've got to be patient with him. What are you going to do? Do you think your second-choice goalkeeper is better than your first? You can't just jock one out the team and, and then stick one in who, who you don't think is going to improve your team because you can't make a change. And can you get a better one in January? Can you get a better one next summer? Well, apparently they've the got this backup goalkeeper, Altai Bayindia, uh, who is desperate to play, as you might imagine. Mm. But he's waiting in the wings. I mean, Stuart, you two are great defenders. What does it do for a defender's mindset when you look around and you think, I'm not sure about him? You can only ever win the big prizes in world football if you've got a top goalkeeper. He, he yeah. had uh, Dave Seaman behind him. Is Onana a top goalkeeper? N- not it, at the moment, he isn't, no. But it is, to make that change going into that cauldron of St James's Park is probably the wrong moment. Exactly. That. Although it could be the making of the new goalkeeper. But at, at the same time, I think it's one of those with goalkeepers. Onana was, a, incidentally, was involved in a, an incident in the World Cup. He was actually sent home from Cameroon World Cup this time last year, wasn't he? Because he, he fell out with the manager. So there, there is a person... Well, that's right, he questioned there, there is a, a personality there. Yeah. So I don't know how... We assume he's a stable type individual, but I think at the moment, if he's the first choice, I think you've got to, you've got to back him. Going, but if he gets it wrong in this one, then time must be up for him as a goalkeeper there because you can't keep making this catalogue of errors that he's making right now. But what does it do to your mindset? I mean, Martin, you're David Seaman, so, I mean, behind you, you thought, reliability, we know what we've got. I don't think, the United players don't know what this guy's going to do next. No, but we've all been through periods where goalkeepers, you know, the first team goalkeeper doesn't play and you do your utmost to make sure he doesn't have to make a save. You know, I I learned very young uh, as a youth team player, you know, don't listen necessarily or wait for the goalkeeper you know get there yourself but this is a top international goalkeeper mm. who should be performing much better than he is but we you know it'd be interesting Ten Hag I think he might well come out in support of the player and you might see something different here uh, and we talked about their league form five wins from six so you may feel that it's just it's the Champions League particularly where he's letting himself down and the club down yeah so I, yeah. I pretty well think he was going to stick with him Stuart I mean G- it, it Jim, seems po- almost too obvious but do, do Newcastle target Anana tomorrow if they see him playing? I would if I was taking free kicks, that's for sure. I would get one on target as humanly, as quickly as I humanly could. You, your question was about the mindset of defenders right. when you've got a goalie behind yeah. you. I've played with goalkeepers where you think, you know what, we're having a lot of the play, but if the opposition have a shot on target, the idiot behind me is going to drop one in. <laughs> and it absolutely ruins you as a team. Honestly, when you think our goalkeeper could drop one in at any moment. But the flip side of that is if you've got a Shilton or a Seaman or a Schmeichel in goal behind you or Edison or the world-class ones... All of well, a sudden, Pete Shilton was worth 10 points every season, wasn't Indeed. 
as Brian Clough used to say. You can't win back-to-back European Cups without Peter Shilton in goal for your football club. It's impossible. If Anana plays, does that give Newcastle the edge? I don't think it gives the edge because he, he's also got the ability, Jim, to pull off a mm. wonderful save to keep his team in it. It's just that he's been responsible for one or two things. If I was them, I'd get early possible opportunity shots on target and chase him down because he betrays a goalkeeper that's got supreme confidence. That, when you're not having a good time, belies a real nervousness. I would, If I was a striker, I would get on my front mm. foot chasing everything down yeah, that goes yeah. back. But when you, goes, you take Newcastle to win it? Yes, I do. 3-1. Martin? I'm with that. Yeah, I mean, you're almost caught in a storm now when you go to St. James's Park, such as the atmosphere, the way they play. It used to be Liverpool, didn't it? That cathedral of noise. But St. James's Park now is really close second, I believe. Mm. Yeah. If not in front of that now. Well, it's live in TalkSport tomorrow night. Stuart Pearce will be there 8 o'clock. Newcastle hosting Manchester United live in TalkSport. Does Anana play? We'll see. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Back at the Times this morning, Farrell might never play for England again. And of course, uh, this week we learned that the England rugby captain, Owen Farrell, announced that he was to take a break from international rugby to prioritise on his and his family's mental well-being. Not only his, but his family's mental well-being as well. Um... Saracens director of rugby Saracens being uh, Owen's club Mark McCall said there were no guarantees that Owen will return to England duty after the quote's shameful treatment that he had received now Stuart Martin you you both played at a time that really before social media came in big time Mm. and now we can see what it does to certain sportsmen in a whole variety of different sports and clearly Farrell has had enough. It's affected him too much. It's affected his family too much. Um, this morning, it's my first opportunity to get a chance to speak to you because we were pretty pre- preoccupied before we came on air about the Aston Villa-Ledger-Warsaw situation from last night. But, I mean, when you first heard this, Stuart, what did you think? All right, Owen Farrell uh, is affected by it, mm. but his family's mental well-being, yeah. 
the, the the big one for me is 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 probably the family link. You know, it's when your children are coming home potentially. I don't know this with Owen at all, but I I've hang my head in shame that anyone that, that is representing their country, anybody in any country in the world, should get pelters of that uh, denomination. And to be fair, it's when it gets to your family. Like I always felt as though as a sports person that. Any flack that come my way was fair game. You know, bear in mind, I've missed a penalty in front of half a billion people and got pelters all around the country when I come back. It, you, you almost walk into a cauldron that is Old Trafford yeah. or Did your family or get Arsenal. sick from that? I, I don't think they ever actually did because no one knew my family were sat in the stand, but they feel it more than you do. They hear every word. I come out fighting, and, and as we do, we almost become a, a hard shell in those days when we used to play that was immune to it and an expectation almost that you heard it so regularly that you become immune to it and it made you stronger. That was always my mentality. But it was your family that hear every word, pick up every newspaper article, all those things, Jim. Yeah. That's when it really hurts you and gets to you. That's your weak point almost. But I find it very sad that, that anyone's um, suffering that abuse. Martin, in the time I've got to know you pretty damn well these days, you're a massive family man. How much collateral damage is there to your family? If you're getting sick, and Stuart has just outlined it, that that penalty miss... His family suffered as well, but there's no social media. But they heard a hell of a lot around that time and they felt for him. You're the same, aren't you? So can you identify with Farrell here? I, I, I can very much so. Uh, I think it's very worrying for the game of rugby. Uh, um, and Warren Gatlin has said as, as much that the, the, the game now is in, is in trouble when people are getting this amount of criticism. And it's very difficult to separate, isn't it, with your family. And uh, you, you've got young children probably in tears listening to what's all around them, the criticism that he said. I mean, it was all about him, wasn't it? He was suspended going into the World Cup. Eventually he comes back, um, starts to perform really well and then has that difficult moment when we went out with a, with a kick. Uh, other things that people want to blame him for, it's a team, it's a collective game, Jim. And I'm really surprised, actually, the sort of rugby fraternity, the, the fans have turned on him in this way. There's nobody immune from this, the football fans. And you're, you're seeing this fair game, aren't you, Stuart? Mm -hmm. You know, when you, when you took to the pitch after the difficult moment and by the way you came back and then scored a very important penalty the next time you had that opportunity didn't you because mm. you know you and you wanted that other chance you other people might have just said do you know what i'm not going to stand up again you did it and you scored a very important penalty but you know we're seeing it every weekend aren't we we're seeing it with ramsdale you know last week you know yeah. he's not playing in the game it, i mean the mistakes he started to make you wonder but you can't let the crowd crush you you can't let them beat you and i would have probably taken a different attitude and thought look it's hard to put myself in that position but i just feel that they win then don't they all these people win when they stop you deny you the chance play for your country which is the proudest moment and we're going to be denied that opportunity now to see Owen Farrell I get play. that, and you're strong, man. And, but and I we don't know what Farrell's wife no, is saying to him. That's exactly that, and we just have to trust him. And I'm pretty certain he comes back again to play in an England shirt. I mean, you, you touched on it there about the sport of rugby, and I didn't know this, but Warren Gatlin—it's a good example that Martin's made. Warren G Gatlin has come out, and he said, "I can still vividly remember a comment that I read after my son Bryn had missed a long-range kick at goal from the sideline." Uh, this was for Auckland Blues in, in New Zealand. It said something like, I couldn't care if Bryn Gatlin didn't, doesn't wake up tomorrow morning. Now, as a father, he said that was hard to take. But he said, the family sees things completely differently. And of course, 
It seeps through to them, Stuart. And this is what's happened clearly with Owen Farrell. And Owen Farrell is nothing if not a wonderful rugby player. 100 mm. plus caps for his country. He's 32. He wants to make the most of this time in his career. And now he's had to mm. step back. And I get what Martin's saying. The idiots out there, the trolls are winning this particular battle, in my view. For me, I'm like Jordan. We don't let it get to us. Anything that's said of a critical nature to us, yeah, fine. Listen, take, yeah. take, take, take your pot shots. Yeah. We're yeah, fair yeah. game. Yeah. Everybody deals with it differently. Yeah. But then when the family gets involved, that's a key moment, isn't it? It's very much so. I think if you're in the public eye, you almost get conditioned to to put a guard up on occasion, to an expectation. Look, there's certain people going to really like you and certain people going to really dislike you. Don't take it personally. It's just they just view you as a rugby player, as a footballer, as a whatever, and they judge. They probably don't know you, never met you before in their life, but they judge on, on the snapshot they see on a pitch, whether they like you, whether you in line with their mentality yeah. or whether you don't. Yeah, That's the sad thing about it. But I, I, I must go back to and, and tell you a story about this. I played in an England side with John Barnes playing just in front of me. And I like John. John's a massive, a good friend of mine. Played with him at club and country at Newcastle. And he was getting booed by the England fans at Wembley. And racially abused as well. And he walked back to me during the game and went, give me the ball. And I looked at him and I thought, my esteem for him just rose. Yeah. And I thought, that's how you answer these people. And that's why I find it sad that, that Owen's had to drop away from something he loves doing. Yes, and, and now there's a doubt country to whether he'll play again. When, when you missed that penalty, Stuart, was there ever any doubt in your mind that you wouldn't pull on an England shirt again? And that, that would be your decision? I don't think there was, Jim, but I'd be lying to you to say I wasn't at my absolute lowest ebb for the next couple of weeks I just wanted to get back to Nottingham Forest and start playing again that's all I wanted that was my salvation but I'd be lying to you today to say that wasn't the lowest point in my professional career by a million miles and how you feel as though as an individual you've let your family down you know when you the, the following day after after doing that and, and going to the team hotel and, and family coming to the hotel I was in tears to see my mum and dad because I felt I'd let them down. It, you know what I mean? So it's easy for me, an old stager, to say, oh, no, it's just water off a duck's back. It's not. I'll tell you what, it's not. I've lived, lived through it, and I can understand what That's he's what thinking we, about. That's why we have to trust him, don't we? Uh, exactly he knows, that. He knows, doesn't he, Aaron? He, he knows he's hit that moment. He's yeah. not in the right state of mind to play. So come back when you are ready. Yes. Because we, we need him. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Invincible Martin Keown alongside us this morning. So too England legend Stuart Pearce. Whenever Stuart is in studio, almost inevitably we end up talking about his legendary manager at Nottingham Forest, Brian Clough. Stuart, I think you played eight seasons under Brian Clough. And we do it on a semi-regular basis because we enjoy doing it. We enjoy talking about this incredible character, Brian Clough, uh, of course, who made uh, a huge mark uh, uh, on the English game. And then we think, yeah, but we really hear from Brian Clough uh, because he left us so long ago, of course, no longer with us. But back in 2005, I uh, sat with Brian Clough in Brian Clough's back garden and we spoke about his one-time player, Martin O'Neill, uh, 
heading to a Scottish Cup final with Celtic having already won the League Cup and the league. And Brian Clough told me how pleased he was for Martin O'Neill getting to Hamden and that cup final. Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled and delighted. And it's an old cliche, but it couldn't have happened to a nicer man. And more important, it couldn't happen to a more qualified man. And I go for the qualifications of management in preference to being nice. I know, because I wasn't nice, but I wasn't bad as a manager. And Martin, as I say, has got all the, he's got all the ingredients that you put in a Christmas cake, and he's got the lot into management. He's done very, very well. Better than you maybe have expected yourself. Well, I would say, I would say, without you know being silly, I don't think anybody expected him to be this good, and to have so success so quickly. I mean, he's won a league, he's won a cup. He's going to win a third one all being well. I hope he does, because I'm getting bloody cramp in my fingers. Uh, we want him to win that much. He's got this feeling, when you've worked with him, it's, it's more than just football manager relationship with me, obviously. And it's all come quickly, but not a surprise to us who really know him. And of course, he's on the brink of a treble. Oh, absolutely incredible. Might it uh, all be happening too quickly for him? No, it, it, it's out of control in, that, in one side of it because you don't turn a, a gift horse down. If it's there to win, go and win it. Um, he's trying to break my records and, uh, you know, unless you've been drinking, he'll never get to that. You, you wouldn't dare ask me questions appertaining to records. But uh, we went 42 games without defeat at Forest, which was a hell of a, long, a lot of games, if you think about it, without defeat and I was taking on the Manchester United's and the Liverpool's and the Arsenal's, beating them at their place and then whacking them at ours. And Martin said, I'm going to beat your record. I said, you'll, you'll have to live to 400, like, you know. You like the guy, don't you? Oh, I sure do. He was my type of lad. He put his lot in, he thought deeply about it. He didn't particularly like me, because I did some terrible things to him. <laughs> uh, I, we were sitting around and I was picking the side to play in the European Cup final away from home, I think it was Malmo. And I went round, he'd been injured, and I said, Martin, how are you? He said, oh, Gaffer, he said, I'm fine. I said, smashing, went round, Archie Gemmel. I said, Archie, how are you? He said, I'm fine, Gaffer. He said, I'm waiting for him, like, you know. I said, what did you both have? He said, oh, he said, we both had hamstrings. Now, I know you've got to be careful with hamstrings. When you feel fine, you're not. And I had a golden rule where if you got a hamstring and they said that they were fit, you gave them another two weeks. So I said, well, I'm delighted you're both fit. I said, I've got news for you. Now they're a plane. <laughs> and bloody Martin looked at me and they thought I was kidding momentarily. And Archie, Archie knew I wasn't kidding because he'd worked with me at Derby. And Martin's shuffling a wee bit and Archie says, he means it, you're not playing. And how did you take it? And Martin says, you're not playing either. Well, they both got up and we were sitting in no shirts on because the sun was shining in summer, cup final, European cup. Grabbed the bloody shirts, stalked off and I said to Martin, say bye to the gaffer. He didn't say anything, but his sign language, I thought he was waving to me, but his hand was the wrong way around. It's amazing how you pick things up, isn't it? Uh. Brian Clough, 
Stuart Pierce listening to Brian speaking away back uh, back 2004 so um, and he was talking ostensibly about Martin O'Neill, but of course he yeah. gets into other areas as well. I mean, sure, I watched you listening to Brian Clough and you were hanging on his every word there. Does it take you back? I've been hanging on his every word, Jim, from the age of probably 10 years old when I used to tune in to watch the England games when he was the pundit. I remember him being the pundit in 1973 at Wembley when Tomaszewski, the, the Polish goalkeeper, was magnificent. And he called him a clown that night. And <laughs> I've been on, hanging on his every word ever since. Every time I hear him on, on anything, these sound bites, incredible. What a man. What One of the best that, that there's ever been in football. Yes. Personality-wise, yeah. just just incredible. I mean, he had a bit of a run-in with Martin there, trying to get through to him. No, you've got a hamstring problem yeah. and you're not going to play. Yeah. And he got his own way and quite rightly got his own yeah. way. Did you have any similar kind of run-in with him? I think you always did. Um, listen, it put you out the team and you always had a feeling that if you were out injured and he and the team won, he'd keep you on the outside of it. He would come in with me, Des Walker, England internationals, and he used to come in, young kid used to come in and take our place. And he'd come up to those kids before the game and say, keep him out the team. You know what I mean? To us. And bear in mind, I was his captain and all that. <laughs> Irrelevant. You do well, keep Big Ed out of the team. And that's, that's <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's interesting. I playing with the, on the 21s with, with Nigel and yeah. Franz Carr, yeah. you know, they were great people and very grounded. Yeah. And there was always this feeling, well, anyone who comes from Forest, this, there's a yeah. behaviour about... I think Brian, I mean, he was that must have been his influence yeah. on these guys. He influenced... Martin, he influenced us as people as much as he did footballers. And anyone that's ever worked for Brian Clough has got that connection. There's a sort of... I don't know, it's like a Masonic bond or something with anyone that's represented <laughs> Forrest and Cluffy at the same time. Yes. You know what I mean? Sometimes yeah. if you've been an Arsenal player over the years, well, you've probably got a similar thing with Arsene Wenger. You know, yeah. not as, as strong a personality, but yeah. the influence that he's had, we're the same well, with Well, they go down as all-time greats, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. From what yeah. they brought to the game. Do. I mean, I, mean I, I nearly signed for Forrest in 89 and mm. nearly, nearly joined you there and was locked in the office by Brian Clough and uh, all manner of gifts came to my house uh, a lovely vase that I've still got a crest of the forest crest and we've talked about this before flowers and everything. and when I said look I'm not actually going to sign he was like well I want that vase back <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's got it was a player of the year trophy <laughs> you know it. what I mean it's only yeah. fair yeah but you, you take everything with a pinch of salt sure I remember on that day and I was overawed by him mm, sitting are. right beside yeah. him and as you heard in the interview there, you know, talk to me about Martin O'Neill. I did some terrible things to him. Yeah. But then off camera, he was saying, absolutely love Martin. Yeah. And it, I, I can't tell you how supportive I feel about Martin. Jim, I've worked for him for eight years. I have got no... I, I'm convinced he never liked me. Never liked me. He used to call you Big Ed, didn't he? Seven years. Big Ed, was it? No, that, that was Jemson and who, a few others, oh, okay. to be fair. You're convinced he never liked you? No, no. Still? Yeah, yeah. I'd done a job for the team and done a job for him. I, I think he liked people like Peter Davenport, Lee Glover, probably Johnny Metcod, players that were silky good footballers, you know what I mean? But yeah. functionals, yeah. I just think they had to play the Did he think maybe that the got the best from you maybe. to treat you in that way? He always kept you on your toes, which I think is a great human trait as well, to be forever looking over your shoulder thinking, I'm not comfortable here. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember that day, Stuart. We drove down from Glasgow to interview him and we had to be there like on the dot one mm. o'clock yeah. and we were there just before one 
and he made a thing of that. Yeah. Punctuality. Yeah. Well done. That's a big thing. For you us. know, before we even get started. Yeah. Uh, Brian Clough. Oh boy. If only he was around today. I don't know whether I've told Brian you this Clough. story before. I was in 1974. I was a ball boy at Wembley at the age of 12 years old for an a youth cup final. And is that off- where your aspiration to be a linesman came in? Is it? Yeah, go on, go on. <laughs> it's, it's near the sunshine. <laughs> so after the game, we went up to the great ballroom at Wembley. You know, the, the dining yeah. hall, banqueting hall. There's a massive meal on for dignitaries and all that game. And as a 12-year-old, you ain't got a clues in there. You just walk around with your autograph book and get all these signatures of Starry-eyed. people. Starry-eyed. Not a clue they are. Ten years ago, I, I moved house and I got this autograph book out and I had no idea who was in it. And I opened it up, Martin... On one page was Brian Clough. This is 1974. And on the other page, in the, sat at the same dinner table, Margaret Thatcher. 1974. That was your future then. Wow. All laid out in front of you. It was. Yeah. It was. Goodness <laughs> me. Not, not so much Thatcher. I didn't really work for her a great deal over the years. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review. Whatever you get your podcast from, we'll be back on Monday to bring you the best of the show.